standing while we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and learn from you. Like Mary, to sit at your feet, to bask in your goodness and to soak in your words of life. I pray that our lives would be transformed as we behold you today. Lord, anoint my lips to bring your word and anoint the ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, I have three cats in my house, but the oldest one is 15, his name is Max, and he likes to, around 2.30 or 3.30 in the morning, scratch on my door and tell me he'd like to go outside. And <laughs> this morning I'm like, oh, Max, and I got up, 3.30 in the morning, and it was really dark, and, um, and I'm stumbling down the stairs, and I'm, oh, you know, where did he go? Oh, there he is. So I open the door, and I'm positive I saw him walk out, and I shut the door, and I turn around, and he's right there. So I don't know, like, you know what? You can't define things properly in the dark. It's sort of everything is, the shapes aren't as clear. So I don't know what I saw, but it wasn't Max. So I had to open the door again and actually let him out. And as we were worshipping, I was thinking about this. You know, God wants to bring his light into our lives in such a way that things are more clearly defined. So we can say, hey, that needs to go. You know, that's what the light does. It actually shows and exposes what's around it. And so I just think God is wanting to bring us into a time where he's saying, it's time to turn on the light and stop stumbling around in some areas of our life and actually allow the light in and let him deal with some stuff, you know. Let the light come and deal with some of the darkness because he wants us free, free in Christ. Now, I want you to put your hand up if you know Jesus Christ. So just pop your hand up. What? Okay, so there's a lot of people here who know him. That's awesome. What do you think about Jesus? Is he just like that guy that lived ages ago that people still talk about? Or is he so much more than that to you? I think he's a lot more than that. That's why you're here, right? Yes. Jesus is the lover of our souls and we love him. I am so pleased that Jesus found me. The scripture says that we've all been like lost sheep. We've wandered off, we've gone astray, we've gone our own way. But he is the good shepherd came and found each and every one of us. And we've all got a story of how he found us. And you know, it says the one that's been forgiven much loves much. And I think about Jesus and then we sing these songs and we go, oh yes, I just want to say you're so amazing. Well, you know, when you love someone, you want, to, you want to spend time with them, don't you? You know, when uh, Jeremy and I were courting, it didn't matter what activity we picked, if it was walking along the beach or going to the shops or just hanging out at church. It didn't matter what the activity was. It was just that I got to be with him. And it's kind of, I feel like, you know, heaven is heaven because Jesus is there and we get to hang out with him. 
We get to be with him. We get to see him face to face. He is my number one delight, my pursuit. Everything I want is found in him. So I'm going to talk to you today about our blessed hope in hopeless times. And I want to start with a, a story. Someone I was um, cleaning their home for this week, they were telling me about a family member who's in their early 20s but completely lost their way, like just um, on drugs every day. They've got no hope. They're just playing games like your video games. They've got no career, no job. And I sort of said, oh, you know, this generation, it's such an entitlement generation that I'm entitled to just do whatever I want to do. But the lady said to me, oh, well, I think it's more than that. She said, I think it's just that they have no hope. And I went, wow, that is so profound and so true. I think half the problem is, why would you be motivated when you have no hope? And I got to thinking about it. We, we have something that is a rare commodity in this world. We have hope. Ephesians 2, 11 to 12, I've kind of just shortened it to, you know Paul when he writes, and he has the longest sentences. Have you ever noticed that? It just goes on and on for a whole paragraph, some of them. It's one sentence. It's phenomenal. But anyway, I have shortened this one a little bit. Therefore, remember that you were without Christ, having no hope, and without God in the world. Do you remember what that felt like when you had no hope? I love the next verse because it starts with but. But thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, we've been given an eternal hope, a blessed hope, actually. I want to look at this one. So who brought their Bibles? Put your hand up and if you brought a Bible of some kind, either physical or electronic, yay. So <laughs> why don't we turn there? I've got, I've got some of the scriptures on the screen, but... I'm actually going to get some of you to turn there and um, read some of them out for me. So make sure you're you're following along. So let's go to Titus. Sorry, Titus. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're in Titus two, and we're going to look at eleven to fourteen. It says this: For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Wow. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Another lady I was working for, her and her husband, we, we would have some great conversations. And uh, one day, as I was coming to Macara, just finished cleaning, and um, we were talking again. I said, wow, the, the world's going crazy, isn't it? We were talking about some events that were happening. 
And she said, yeah, makes you wonder, where's all this headed? And I said, well, I read the Bible when it has a great book at the end that tells us what's going to happen. And she said, uh, it ain't good, is it? <laughs> I went, well, it depends. It depends. Because for a certain group of people, it's really good. And for another group of people, it's really bad. It depends. You see, we have a blessed hope. We have something we can look forward to. Even though we see the world around us becoming more and more wicked, we have a blessed hope. Because we're not looking just here, we're looking here for the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus made an amazing, in fact, a staggering promise to his disciples. I think one that would have comforted their hearts so much. You see, all of us, we haven't seen Jesus yet. We've seen him at work in our life. We haven't seen him face to face. But they had seen him face to face, and then he starts telling them that he's going away. So then he makes this promise, and I'm sure they breathe the sigh of relief. Let's have a look at the promise. This is found in uh, John 14, 1 to 3. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. How do you reckon they were feeling at the moment he said that? Yeah, it's just a good chance they were feeling troubled. Um, let not your heart be troubled. Let me just pause. Anyone in the room ever felt a bit troubled by anything lately? Mm. All right. So I think maybe Jesus is speaking to us too. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Well, why is he saying that? Because he's about to say something that's so astounding. He had to say, okay, believe me. Are you ready for it? In my father's house are many mansions, or maybe more accurately translated is rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, and that's the, mm, Jesus is leaving us, to prepare a place for you. Hang on. Now you've got my attention. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will let it fall apart and never bring you there. No. God has a purpose for God, right? He's not up in heaven preparing a place for us, but we never go there. I know that's obvious, but I'm going to say it because I want to emphasize something else a bit later. So he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Don't you love that? Jesus received you. It's like you're his gift. Wow. That where I am, there you may be also. What an amazing promise. And this is written in red in my Bible. So this is the words of Jesus. A direct quote. All right. This promise was also confirmed by angels when Jesus ascended to heaven. So I'm going to flip over now to the book of Acts. I love how Luke continues his account there. 
and um, Acts 1, yeah, we'll start in verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? What a silly thing to say. Sorry, but Jesus has just literally been taken up into heaven. I mean, has anyone ever seen that? I've never seen that. They've never seen anyone be lifted up and taken into heaven. So quite naturally, they're going, and these angels go, what are you looking at? What? And they say, hey, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Wow, the angels are confirming the promise that Jesus is coming again. Wow. There it is. This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will so come in like manner as the way you saw him go into heaven. Now, what do we mean by the phrase, Jesus is coming back? I really want to clarify some things today because that makes me happy. But depending on your understanding of scripture, that can make you fearful. And, I, and it shouldn't, not at all. So we're going to have a look at this. All right. There are two phases to Jesus' return. Otherwise, these scriptures don't make any sense. If there wasn't two phrases, two phases, there would be that many contradictions in scripture that it wouldn't make, um, you know, it wouldn't make his promise clear to us. But I'm hoping that this morning we can make it a little bit more clear. Okay, so the first phase, Jesus is coming for his people. Now that's the exciting bit. Okay, he's coming for you. Remember, he went and prepared a place for you. He knows you really, really well. <clears throat> he knew your personality before you were born because he designed you and made you. So I totally blame my quirky humour on him. Um, he put me together. He knows me and he is preparing a place for me. Now I can tell you one thing. The place he's preparing for me in heaven will have no grey whatsoever because I do not like the colour grey <laughs> or the shade of grey because it's not black, it's not white, it's lukewarm and I spew it out of my mouth, amen. Right? So, he knows me. But he knows you too. Maybe grey is your favourite colour. He has everything prepared for you. And he's coming for you. I don't know if you can really see because I couldn't get this picture as clear as I wanted it. But there are actually thousands of little people that are making up that bride image of the body of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Oh, I like that. I want that on my wall. <laughs> and, um, and this one, because of the word, I'm going to receive you unto myself. 
I can't, man. I just really enjoy. I just enjoy this. Okay, the second phase. Jesus is coming with his people. Amen. So very different. One is coming for you. One is coming with you. Yeah. And we're going to just unpack that a little bit more. All right, so Jesus is coming back for his people. So John 14, 1 to 3, what we, uh, what we just read, but I've highlighted a few things. So in my father's house, that's where it's starting. Then he says, I'll come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So where is he? Father's house. Go to the top of the class. Thank you. Um, all right. So the first one, I've got to like a bridegroom for his bride. He's coming to take you to the Father's house. Next one, we shall be like him in his resurrection. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. I can't wait to hear that trumpet sound because I know that means he's coming. <sighs> and the dead in Christ will rise first. I'm sure we've all got someone that we know that's gone on before us. My mom and dad are already there waiting. They're going to rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's exactly what the angel said. The same Jesus will come back exactly the way he went. We're going to meet him in the clouds. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. All right, then 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, taken like Enoch before the judgment and wrath of God on the wicked. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him and where is he in the father's house at the moment all right that's just a quick one uh there's many 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 more scriptures i don't have time to go through them all today this is just like a quick overview um because there's so much to cover up this is jesus coming back with his people revelation 19 11 to 16. so he's coming as the conquering king here not for his bride at this point this point he's coming as the conquering king to execute vengeance on his enemies so this is what john sees happening now i saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns he had a name written that no one knew except himself and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who's that? That's his people. Remember, it came for you. We're clothed in white linen, white and clean. Hallelujah, not great. Followed him on white horses, not great. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let me tell you, you want to meet Jesus in the first phase of his coming, and 
not the second phase. You want to be coming with him, okay, not when he's coming at this world. All right. And then there's one from Jude 14 to 15. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Little tiny book of Jude, but it has a profound little snapshot there of something that's also written in Revelation. Okay, so Jesus is coming soon. And we have this beautiful promise in Hebrews 10, 35 to 37. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and this is the promise, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. One day, this is going to be our reality. And that's amazing. All right. I want to just show you some things. The Bible is unlike any other book. Not only does it tell us what has happened, it's also telling us what is to come. But it also tells us what we need to know for right now. So just as Jesus said, I am, I am. But I was and I am, and I am to come. That's what the Bible is too. It tells us how we got here, what we do while we're here, and where we're heading. And so this is exciting. Look at this. That phrase at the top, and it came to pass. I found it 452 times in the King James Version of the Bible. So that tells me that when God says something's going to happen, we don't have to wonder about it. It's going to come to pass. It's going to happen. In the book of Matthew, nine times we, we read the phrase that it might be fulfilled. I love how Matthew does it. In fact, so many of these passages in Matthew are read out every year at Christmas time. And I wonder if people are getting a hold of what's actually being said. Because we hear these passages, you know, that Mary went to Bethlehem and all of this. But what Matthew is saying is, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets. And, oh, there was this census that brought them there and then he was born and then, and then this happened and then they had to go to Egypt. Oh, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. Oh, and then he came back and settled in Nazareth. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. Everything about Jesus' first coming was a fulfillment of what had been prophesied. His second coming is no different. There's over 300 prophecies about his first coming. There are thousands of prophecies about his second coming. And one day, we're going to say, and it came to pass. You know what? During the millennial reign of Christ, when he comes back and sets up his kingdom here on earth, we're going to have people coming up to us and saying, hey, were you part of that generation that got caught up in the air? And I'll be like, yeah, you want me to tell you about it? 
Yeah, what was it like? Oh, the sound of that trumpet went through my whole body and I was like, whoa! And I was flying at a phenomenal rate of speed and man, the view from the clouds is awesome. I'm like, oh, wow! And, and is it true you believed on Jesus when you hadn't seen him? Like we go to Jerusalem every year and visit him. Yeah, yeah, we, we'd never seen him, but oh, we knew him. And when we heard his voice, we knew that was our beloved coming for us. We're going to be that generation that gets to say what it was like to be alive when the trumpet sounded. So cool. All right, we're going to go through a few quick ones, and I will go through very quickly some of the things that have already come to pass in the scriptures. So Abraham was promised that his descendants would uh, inherit a land called Canaan. Firstly, that he would even have descendants because Abraham and Sarah were barren. But then they they um, they had Isaac. And then God showed him in Genesis 15, we don't have time to turn to all of these, but in Genesis 15, a deep sleep comes on Abraham and he has horror and darkness and, and he's experiencing a horrible time and God shows him that his descendants would one day be taken to a land that was not theirs and they would serve that people and that people would treat them harshly. But after 400 years, they would be released. And the next scripture, Exodus 12, tells us how after 430 years, on that self-same day, those children of Israel were released from a land called Egypt where those people held them in bondage. Exactly what God said happened. Here's another one. Abraham's descendants would be scattered around the earth due to disobedience, but would one day be gathered back to their original land. You know what? In all of history, there's never been a time that a people group had been dispersed and ever came back to their nation. The Jews were spread out all over the world, but a few had preserved the original language. And in 1917, a handful of Jews came back to the Holy Land and began to write in the ancient Hebrew and began to teach the ancient Hebrew language again. Little did they know what was uh, around the corner. You know, in the early 1900s, there were many Bible scholars who said, well, you know what? Israel's not a nation anymore. And it's been nearly 2,000 years since they were. And I don't think these promises actually mean Israel. I think it means the church. Because they couldn't see any way for them to be fulfilled literally. So they began to say, well, I think the church is now Israel. But that's not true. And in 1948, God proved everyone wrong and himself right. When a people who were not a people became a people again. And in the United Nations, when they said, well, what do we call this land that we're making for the Jews? And they, they had a few names. And then someone said, why don't we call it Israel? And Israel was born. In the day. I've been there. The signs are all in Hebrew and English. Everywhere you go, they speak Hebrew, their native tongue. A people who were not a people scattered all over the earth. Once again, a people. We, we can dim the lights. I just want to show you. 
I want you to notice all the prophecies in the scriptures that have been coming to pass. Hear the words of your father. Hear his promise of love. I will make you a blessing. So count the stars if you can.
If only we had time, we'd go through just a small portion of those scriptures where God promised he would bring his people, he'd gather them from the ends of the earth and give them their home again. I want to jump forward in time a little bit. So that's just some of those scriptures where it talks about they would come back in their land. And, you know, when I was over there in Israel, one of the things I noticed was that everything, from the buildings, infrastructure, the plants, everything was only 70 years old. Because before Israel came back in the land, and the top one, Ezekiel 11, 17, talks about how nothing would grow for anyone else. Um, but when his people come back, the land would bring them forth and shoot again. And that has happened. So every tree that was there was planted once they came. And it's, it's phenomenal. It's bustling cities and towns and oh, wine, you know, like vineyards and pomegranates. And it's just phenomenal. And um, everything, everything he said has come to pass. So I want to jump forward in time now to the present. And I want to show you some other things that are coming to pass exactly as the Bible said they would. But these ones specifically, Jesus said would happen in the last days. So in the time just before his return. So Jerusalem would be a point of contention for all nations. Zechariah 12, 2 to 3 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall happen. I love that. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. Here was a um, news article, the battle over the Middle East ultimate prize, Jerusalem. Already this little country with this city is like the most talked about city in the world the united nations every time they meet they discuss jerusalem why it's bible prophecy it's all coming together here's another one jesus said uh, when the disciples asked him for signs how will we know you're coming uh, matthew 24 6 to 7 and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And we're seeing that. NATO started doing new, uh, what they call steadfast new nuclear exercises, um, which have the attention of China. You can see up there, this is the China military online. I'm going to show you just a few of these wars and rumors of wars. We've got at the top, dictator in the making, China's perilous challenge to the United States. Putin monitors practice launches by Russia's nuclear forces. More and more, the two Koreas exchange miss missile launches. And this is actually progressed further from when I um, put this up, I noticed this morning. Um, here's another one. Saudis tell the US that Iran may attack the kingdom. There's wars. And rumors of wars. This is exactly what Jesus said. Also, the rest of that verse 7 says, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Here's just one of them as food insecurity skyrockets. Experts warn the true cost of food hasn't been paid and the bill is due. They're talking about the price of everything, all commodities going up so much more. 
Here's another one. Most productive New South Wales agricultural shire counts hundreds of millions of dollars in crop losses. You know they lost uh, all their wheat crops from all the recent floods. And we know that that's going to also bring in famines. Okay, here's another one. Second Timothy 3.13. Paul is warning Timothy what it would be like in the last days. And he says this, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. And I could have filled this with so many headlines, which saddens me so much. But um, there's so much apostasy in what is supposed to be the church of Jesus Christ around the world. Deceivers, being deceived. Here's another one. Parents fight to recall VA school board over raunchy reading material and critical race theory. There is all sorts of wickedness uh, growing worse and worse. And uh, it is this generation that is without any hope in the natural that God has called us to stand as beacons of hope because we carry the blessed hope of Jesus' return. And so I want to just equip you a little bit to say the word of God is true. What he said will come to pass, will come to pass. Jesus will keep his promise. He will come for us. And it's important that we know what, what was prophesied so that we can tell people when they say to us, hey, how come you can have hope? Well, I have hope because I know what's going to happen. I know what's coming. I know what the Bible says and I can trust it 100 so I want to leave you with this verse today, Luke 21, 28. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? So if you're in this place and maybe you weren't able to raise your hand earlier when I said, hey, do you know Jesus? Today would be the perfect day to get to know him. He already knows you and like the good shepherd, he's just waiting for you to turn around and let him be your God. Let him be your shepherd. Let him love you the way he already does. I don't know why we think surrendering to God is going to be the worst thing we could do. Because what you're surrendering to or who you're surrendering to is a God who loves you more than you could ever fathom. God who created you, made you in your mother's womb, knows you by name. There's the simple ABCs to receive Jesus. It's so simple. The first one is you need to admit, hey, I've sinned. I've wandered away. I've, I've done things in my own way. I've, I've messed up. Admit you're a sinner. B is believe. Believe that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice to save you to wash you clean of your sins, to forgive you, to cleanse you, to make you new. And C is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says it's just that simple. You will be saved. But the difference is your eternity. You go from darkness to light, from hopelessness to hope, from shame to being completely set free. That's what he wants for you. Just while heads are bound in this place today, if you say, Anita, that's me, I, I want to believe on Jesus. I want him to cleanse me of my sin. Would you raise your hand where I can see it? 
I'd love to pray with you this morning. We want to be the ones that He comes for us, not when He comes with us. Thank you. I can see that hand. Is there anyone else in that one? Thank you. That hand at the back. Thank you. I want to rush this moment. People are deciding for eternity. Thank you. I can see those hands too. Yeah. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's just a simple thing, but it's really what you're saying in your heart. And you choose to believe in Jesus. So I'm going to just say a simple prayer. You can echo it after me. And let's put our trust in the Lord. To say, Heavenly Father, I admit I am a sinner. I need Jesus to save me. Wash me clean. Forgive me of my sins. Make me your child. I believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. And I put my trust in Him alone for eternal life. I choose to follow Jesus and forsake all else for Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. And let me pray for the rest of you just in this moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the privilege it is to be called your people and that you're coming back for us. I believe one day very soon because you gave us lots of signs to look for and we're seeing all those signs. Father, I thank you that we can trust your word 100%. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill your people afresh this week, that they would go with this blessed hope and that they would spread hope to all who are around them. Give them opportunities, Lord. Open doors for them. Make a way for them to share the hope of Jesus with someone this week. In your name I pray. Amen.